Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi alongside me, Taylor Dammel, and The Shark. We're brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. Your College Hooper of the Week, it's Willis Reed. Yes, we all know Willis from him heroically returning to the Knicks game after tearing his thigh muscle, just a disgusting, grotesque-sounding injury. Uh, we we remember him for that walk out of the tunnel back onto the floor. But before all of that, he played his college days at Grambling State. Little Easter egg. We're going to give a lot of shout outs and love to the swack. Grambling State needs to be represented. We're going to get to them. But Willis Reed, he's your college hooper of the week because he played at Grambling. We're brought to you by Royal Digital Marketing, a.k.a. RDM. RDM specializes in website development and digital marketing for small businesses and startups. So if you need a website, contact them at Colin at RoyalDigital.co. That's C-O-L-I-N at RoyalDigital.co. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is and make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. Gentlemen, 
Welcome back to another week. This is one of my favorite times of year, this particular week. And not only is it because we got the Champions Classic, college basketball is a week under our belt, but my boys, my sweet boys just celebrated their 33rd birthdays. Happy birthday to both the Shark and Taylor. Hug for you. Uh, Taylor, I'll start with you, I suppose. Are you wiser? Are you feeling wiser? No. Um, Are you feeling older physically? No. Uh, I'm not, I don't know about the shark. I'm just not a big birthday person. I've always tried to like avoid any celebration for my birthday. Um, full, if we, if we can dive into the mind of the Taylor Dammel, um, I am totally comfortable with being the center of attention, but not when it's planned to be that way. So that's why I'm not a birthday person. Shark, what, what are your thoughts on celebrating your birthday? I'm with you where I, I don't, I don't particularly, I'm not going to say I don't like them. I mean, they're always, it's always good to, you know, reach another milestone in your life, but I, I kind of just enjoy doing my own thing. So, you know, my wife hooked me up. She, she let me go to a sports bar, watch all the Sunday games. And my birthday was on Sunday. I sat there, plopped down, had a couple Kona big waves, settled in, watched the 1 PM slate. And then, you know, kind of just enjoyed the day, hit the beach a little bit. It, it was good. I mean, it's exactly what I'm looking for. But once you're turning 33, nobody really gives too much of a shit anymore. And also, it's just another, you know, check in the, this big thing called life that we got going on here. I said, with the respectfully, um, when Danielle asked me what I want to do for my birthday, I said, because my birthday was on Monday, like Subi said, um, I said, I'd like to watch Monday Night Football without you interruption. Get- and you got a gift, my and friend. And that's, it was last Monday, but yeah. whatever. But right. this Monday was also great as well. Shout you, out. Shout out. Um, a fellow Taylor uh, stepping put to Put that the left plate. hand up. Yeah, yeah so can, can we splice it right now? Can we? It, can, can you give me the splice? Left hand's going up. Those haters can't stand us. Left hand up. Who are we? Commanders. Uh, let me pivot by saying, yeah, okay, so birthdays, whatever, fuck them. Left hand up, though, there's no better song, like, in the country. It's incredible. I I, I agree, for one. I think now that the team's 5-5, five and five, we're talking about the Commanders, obviously. Huge win on Monday Night Football over the – just the most detested – despicable fan base. They, they Everything that is going for them – um, they're so ravenous. They're so passionate. They're so cocky in everything that they do. I envy that fan base. I would like to be a part of that fan base. I just physically can't do it. And for Taylor Heineke, who I've been screaming on the pedestal for about two years, that I I, I saw the talent in this guy. I got another siren. Back-to-back weeks, I'm getting siren. That's Hurricane insane. last week, yeah. Uh, a little dangerous in this neighborhood, I guess. Blink but, twice if you need help. No, I'm good. I'm good. I got people around here. Uh, right hand no, up I, if you need help. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I've been uh, I, Heineke. They say nobody goes through five reads quicker than him, and he's been doing this for two years now. You got to give him a chance. His stats aren't going to look good, but it's the winning plays that he makes. Recovering that terrible snap, throwing it away, taking the knee on the third down to get the the penalty, hitting huge third down conversions. The guy has it. Can I tell you what my favorite part of the Commanders being good is? And I hate to say this because a they beat the Packers and are. You know, like last night was not good for the Packers in terms of the competition. I, but I just can't hate Heineke. But the thing I like about it the most is how, as a big supporter of Scott Van Pelt, 
and you know someone who answers almost every night of his week with sports center with svp you could tell how much happier svp is when the commanders are good i mean we're talking about a a, a dc guy born and bred and like you know you could just tell how happy this guy is to do sports center especially last night you know coming off a big win he even referenced and shouted out left hand up like it's just it's just fun. I'm happy for you, Shark. How's that sound? Does that no, make you happy? I'm, I'm I, happy for you. I appreciate it. I'm not sure we need to, you know, be puffing up Scott Van Pelt over there. I think he's living pretty good with his millions of dollars and the greatest job in the world. I would feel more worse for the persecuted fan base like me, the 33-year-old Commanders fans that have never won 11 games in their life, that have one playoff win in recent memory, that have quarterback after quarterback go down with devastating injury. And all it took was bringing some math nerd off his sister's couch from Old Dominion, sticking him in there, having him decode a defense like he's uh, the guy in um, Russell Crowe in that what's the movie there when he's the brilliant John Nash, the brilliant guy, that beautiful version, mind. right? Beautiful mind. That's Heineke on the field. And then just making the tough moxie plays that he's known to do. So don't cry for Scott Van Pelt cry for me. I'd like to give a hat tip to Heineke as well. Not for what he did on the field, but what he's been doing off the field. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, or actually last week, I talked a little bit about the, why don't you go on mute with those goddamn sirens. Uh, last week, I talked a little bit about uh, the motion offense. Okay. And two critical parts of the motion offense were Zinn and beer. You see Heineke on the, on the flight post game. He's just got Bush light and some makeshift trash can cooler. And then on the McAfee show today, McAfee's like, you gotta, what are you doing the rest of the day? We're going to let you go. He goes, I'll probably throw in a couple Zins and go home. That's us boys. That's 33. I'm not 33 by the way. And also you guys hate your birthdays. You're not a big deal because your birthdays suck. I'm a 4th of July, baby. Everyone loves my birthday. And I love when I'm the center of attention and it being planned, but hat tip to Heineke for what he's doing off the field as well. Living the dream. He's living the dream. I mean, how could you not, you know, I mean, just in, uh, an unpredictable situation for him to start last year. And then subsequently again, this year, given what's happened. And I, there's no way they bring Wentz back. At this at this point, they just can't. But shout yeah, shout out Taylor Heineke. No, no chance. I, I I wouldn't mind seeing it just for the Sharks' reaction. But uh, let's get some of your guys' reactions now in the college basketball world. Happy birthday again! Let's start with Gonzaga, Michigan State tonight. As we're recording, the Champions Classic is going on in Indianapolis. We got uh, Michigan State, Kentucky, two Hall of Famers in Calipari and Izzo, and then after that, we got Duke. And Kansas, a first-year head coach in John Shire, and I don't even know who's replacing Bill Self tonight because Self's still serving that four-game suspension. But kind of funny that we get a matchup of two Hall of Famers to guys that are going to be head coaches technically for the first time uh, in the Champions Classic tonight. But Zags Michigan State was the big kickoff in terms of a marquee matchup. Gonzaga comes back edges out the Spartans who always play well in these scenarios. You look at Tom, Tom Izzo's out of conference scheduling the past five, six years. He always schedules difficult games. Taylor, I know we always talk about, well, I think a lot of people get enamored with the scheduling part and don't necessarily look at the fact, or maybe not the fact, but if they've lost those games, everyone's just like, Oh, good for you. You scheduled them. But Izzo's boys competed incredibly well, especially against a team uh, that's ranked number two in the country. Drew Timmy essentially just took over. Shark, I'm going to start with you. Any takeaways from that Zags-Michigan State game uh, out there in San Diego? I'm not sure that Gonzaga uh, – I, I know they had Holmgren last year, but are they 
number two worthy at this point. I mean, you look at them, Timmy, four of 10 from the free throw line. You would expect him to be the front runner for national player of the year. I mean, Sheboy's out still. We can talk about him at some point. But what what about them is dominant? I, I really don't know. And for them to kind of just have this, this, you know, almost reputational ranking that they have when, I mean, what, I, like why should Gonzaga be ranked higher than Arkansas? Arkansas literally know, beat them last year, beat them last year, and then replenished with a slew of five stars, look good again. I, I don't understand why we just have to slot Gonzaga in there because we know that they're going to get a bunch of wins against their, their easy schedule that they're going to play no matter what. And I get what they're doing. They're challenging themselves early in the season. That's fine. They have to do it because they're not playing competitive games pretty much from December to February. Uh, but I, I don't understand if that team was placed in the SEC or the Big Ten. I would even put the Big Ten in there. Do you think they're that good of a team? I don't know. They seem average. They looked average for sure. And I think a lot of people were wondering, maybe my, just myself, but I was like, how much of this is a result of them playing outside, playing a good team in Michigan State, uh, battling with all of those different elements? Taylor, what did you take away from this game? As you say, I hate to be the bubble burster of this always fun experience of playing on a aircraft carrier, which we haven't done in a number of years, but it's not like those games historically have ever been telling of who's actually good or not. I mean, you're playing outside. It's like 58 degrees uh, on the water in previous years, like the court. Well, shoot, they couldn't even, which game got canceled a couple of years ago. Was I feel it like Michigan it was State? a Michigan state game condensation. Yeah. And then I think Arizona played the next year against Michigan State again, but they played it inside Kadeem Allen game inning went up, uh, layup on that one. I think Sue and I were watching at Cold Beer and Cheeseburgers. Not that I remember it that well, but I just don't take a lot, I don't put a lot of credence into these games uh, that take place on the carriers. I hate to say, uh, I will give Michigan's, I, I guess I'll follow it up by saying it totally plays into the hand of the team that's not as good as the other it kind of muddles the game up a little bit. Um, it's kind of the same way that like tonight we're going to watch one of Kentucky, Michigan state, Duke or Kansas probably get blown out, which happens seemingly every year in the champions classic. And then we sit here and discuss it. And then it ends up not really being that good of a barometer for, for how good those teams are for the future. Um, and it's just to quote the great John Calipari. So you want to do it for me? Well, we're going to get it tonight. Well, I'll, I'll let you take it. Go ahead. They're just kids, you know? They're just kids. So uh, you're, you're playing, like, especially on a carrier or when you're playing at Gainbridge Fieldhouse, which is where the Pacers play. I had to literally look up where Champions Classic was uh, th this week when uh, I saw that as the arena name. I think it's just a first time for, every, for everybody doing some of this stuff. And I think that's a bigger uh, indicator or a bigger indicator of – how the games turn out than maybe the talent level. Cause when you're playing on an aircraft carrier in that situation, it's always going to play into the hands of the team. That's not as good. Uh, I think going like four of 10, like as you referenced shark, I think that's more of a misnomer from the free throw line for someone like Drew Timmy. You're just going to have those games, especially in an uncomfortable or, you know, not normal environment. I think Gonzaga is good. I think North Carolina is obviously good because we can make the argument that they haven't, they didn't play that well either, but it's the beginning of the year. You got to If we're going to do the rankings this early, you got to put someone there. So uh, it's kind of a crapshoot at this point. Um, not to be the 
bearer of whatever bad news, but I think the carrier is the biggest uh, factor in that game rather than any talent discrepancy. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple things for me. First and foremost, validating a few things that we already knew. One, Tom Izzo's guys are always going to play hard, no matter if they're ranked one, 10, or unranked, which they were in this game. They're always going to play you very tough, and they're going to make it a game. Um, A.J. Hogard, I'm looking for him to take the next step there at the point guard position for the Spartans. He's got a ton of emotion. He actually reminds me a little bit of uh, the dude from from Auburn, Davis. What, why am I shark? You should know who I'm th- Katie Davis, Katie Johnson. What Johnson Johnson. Thank you. Sorry. He reminds me a little bit of him when he gets riled up and pumped up and he's a relatively stocky individual. I thought AJ Hogard played pretty well, pushed tempo when they needed to. Um, and then another thing that was just another stamp of approval and what we've come to expect drew Timmy drew Timmy took over and he won effectively Gonzaga that game. He was a bit ineffective in the first half. Maybe he was, a uh, getting his sea legs. I don't know if that pun even makes it there, uh, but you know, work with me here. Drew Timmy was awesome in the second half and he, he, he shot poorly from the line. Don't know how much of that again, is it of it being outdoors, but Drew Timmy was amazing. Um, I think the two outliers for me, one, I wasn't that impressed with Julian Strawler. I think they're going to need the Zags are going to need him to play very well. If they want to reach that final four, if they want to win the national title, they can't be this reliant on drew Timmy. Um, I think he can do it, but they cannot be this reliant on him, especially with the amount of talent that they have and the transfers that came in. And then Joey Hauser, I don't expect him to shoot as poorly as he did. I think that was, that was the one individual where the outside and playing uh, outdoors really impacted him because Joey Hauser is going to muddy it up a little bit on the boards. He can play a little bit of defense, but he's there to shoot. We see what his older brother's doing it with the Celtics. Joey Hauser's there to shoot. He did not do that whatsoever. I think if he just had hit maybe one or two more shots, Michigan state probably wins that game. Um, So those were some of the big takeaways for me. Shark jump in. Well, I would say to the, everyone's making excuses here for, for Timmy, I mean, your boy Hogard had no problem at the free throw line. He was knocking him down. So, I, I, you know, that's part of it. The other part of it is when everyone, we all wake up tomorrow and prepare for Wednesday night's slate, we're going to have an opportunity to see Gonzaga really get tested when they go on the road and they play Texas. So that is a huge, huge test. They could make me eat my words for it. But generally, my takeaway was, why do we always have to just slot Kentucky into the top, excuse me, Gonzaga into the top five? Every single year, just based off their previous season, when they have a high ranking, they're always going to be a one seed, largely due to the fact that they lose like two to three games in the regular season. In some years, they don't lose any. Um, but, you know, I just kind of want to push back on that narrative. And we should be appreciating other schools like Houston and Arkansas that are very consistent within the tournament. And I, I totally agree, especially this year when they lose in the Sweet 16 the previous year. They lose Chet Holmgren, right? Uh, I, I, I think that's puzzling, and I think that's a fair pushback. Go ahead. Tom. I mean, Houston's perpetually undervalued, even at three to the, right now. They're just they're just never going to get the same love at this rate. You, nobody's talking about Houston, and they're as legit of a national title contender as anybody. And they've shown that over the last couple of years. Kind of a statistical anomaly here that I thought was funny looking at this game. Anton Watson, starter for Gonzaga, played 20 minutes without taking a shot. That's hard to do yeah, cardio. <laughs> that's that's pretty difficult to do um 
did have two boards, two assists, two blocks, filled up the stat line. Otherwise, thought that was interesting. But yeah, I, I, I think if you do want to look at this Gonzaga team, and if there is any pushback, they're they're definitely not as talented as they were last year. I mean, I don't think that's going out on a limb. You have the you know, Chet Holmgren, like Shark said, um, but is their talent level um, any different to the rest of college basketball this year? I don't know. Obviously that's still yet to be seen, but you know, they clearly don't have the Chet Holmgren type of difference maker. And those guys just don't come around that often. That's why he was, you know, a high draft pick seven foot, all his skills that he had. They clearly don't have anybody like that this year, but at the same time, it's not like it pushed them any further along in the tournament last year than any other year. So, um, I mean, yeah, I, go I, think, ahead. I think it's a combination of that, but also that other teams have surpassed them. Shark mentioned Houston, Arkansas. I'd even go with a tried and true proven national champion in Baylor. Um, you know, you, you've got, you've got even maybe a Duke team that could, could argue Kansas is the defending national champion. They don't return uh, some of their guys, but they still got Jalen Wilson. So I think it's a combination of, yeah, they don't have the talent that came back. Uh, or that they had last year, but some other teams have a rightful place uh, or, or gripe in surpassing them. Well, and Shark, who is our resident still or still resident East Coast person, I'm obviously the resident West Coast person. We got a Midwesterner in here too. I don't necessarily really know how Gonzaga is viewed nationally because I've only always been a Pacific Northwesterner specifically. I, is it almost to a point where like, I, that might just be why they're the unknown good team from the West Coast, so that so they just get slotted in there every year. At the, but I, no, I, I don't think, think so. No, I I think it used to be that where everyone was more or less betting against them, not expecting the fact that they were going to make it too far. And granted, my, my anecdotal kind of experience on this would just be the bracket that I run. But more often than not, everyone is picking Gonzaga to win. They've they've done enough to legitimize themselves, I think, as a perennial power. Yeah, I'm not saying they're not legitimate. That you know, but that we just well, assume they're top five every year, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just become expected. They're they're almost looked at as like a blue blood. If they had a great season last year and they return one of their key guys, they're they're gonna get placed in there again. When in reality, a team like Houston, when you know, you look at them, Sasser didn't play in the tournament last year. They go to the Elite Eight that where they just couldn't score against Villanova. And he comes back with all the other talent that they have on that team. They should they should have been receiving a lot more. Um, and, and I'm not saying that they did not going into the season. I forget what their preseason rank was. I know it was top 10, but I mean, I why, think they're at three right now. Um, they are right now, but they, they should be better than Gonzaga in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, but it was always, always great to kick off the season with a marquee matchup, Billis and Dan Schulman on the call. Love those two. Uh, Zags, Michigan state. That was a fun one. It came down to the wire. Uh, Gonzaga ends up winning. All right, let's pivot now. Those are two good teams. One, obviously, a very good team in Gonzaga. Another proven team in Michigan State. But we got to focus on the Pac-12 now. Brutal. You know when your dad or your mom says, hey, when you're a kid, I don't want you hanging around with these folks because it, you know, people will, people will say you are who you hang around, right? You got that stench on you. It's like in the hell, hell or high water, all right? Chris Pine's character is following around Toby, his brother, who's a loose cannon. And the entire time, the audience is just screaming, Chris Pine, please get away. Get away from him. 
That's how I feel with Arizona being in the Pac-12 because it is stinky. I hate the Pac-12 so much, and they have just been abhorrent, abysmal to open the year. Let's run it down here. Cal has lost to UC Davis and Kansas State. I went on a rant about them last week. Oregon gets boat raced at home to UC Irvine. ASU loses to Texas Southern. Colorado lost to Grambling State. Shark, I don't know how much shit you can talk on Colorado specifically considering they beat your Vols, but Colorado lost to Grambling State. Andy Enfield and the Trojans lose to Florida Gulf Coast. And then to top it all off last night is I'm trying to lay down for bed, but I can't because I'm watching this semi-close game between Utah Tech and Washington on the ESPN app. It was, it, it stalled. It was at the 742 mark and I'm refreshing. I'm refreshing for like 15 minutes and it's not moving. I'm like, what the hell's happening? Well, turns out in Seattle, there was a clock malfunction that stopped the game for like 25 minutes. Just the Parmesan cheese on the shit pasta. That is the PAC 12 Taylor as another PAC 12 guy. How disappointing is this start? What's the, been the most disappointing part, I guess? Well, I'm disappointed in Washington as a whole, considering their football game against uh, Oregon State this previous weekend also had a 20-minute delay because the lights went off at Husky Stadium at like 11 o'clock at night. Same thing. So whatever they got going on there, Microsoft's five feet down the street, and we can't figure out any technical issues, problems at Washington. But, yeah, it's uh, – I mean, we discussed in our prediction episode that we thought that teams like Oregon weren't going to be as good as they were thought of. I think that's already apparent. Um, I said, hey, Hurley's getting fired this year. If that wasn't completely obvious, now, I mean, there's no avoiding that at this point. Um, yeah, I, I over the summer, when the realignment talk was all around the Pac-12, I went from, hey – we got to say in the Pac-12 tradition, whatever, to quickly changing into, no, I'd much rather play Baylor and Kansas every week than these fucking losers out here. And it's crazy to me that the Pac-12 sucks. I understand that there's a lack of kind of like media coverage, which is a lot of its own doing by the Pac-12. But you're talking about a very vast, huge area. And California is the strongest recruiting place in the entire country for pretty much every sport now at this point. And the four major schools in can in California can't pull enough basketball players to beat Southeast West Missouri tech. Like that's, that's what's kind of crazy to me about the PAC 12 is it's not like the talent isn't available. Well, the teams you, the teams you mentioned are forty teams that beat the other ones. So like UC Davis, UC Irvine, those, those teams are typically, making the tournament every other year. One of them is. Sure. I, I guess the top, these guys can't pull the top end talent enough to beat the guys they lost to in high school or beat in high yeah, school. It, you you know, at, I mean, they're at UCLA and they're at, they're at your school. Well, our school's good. I mean, if UCLA can't even beat Arizona in football, I can't imagine they're going to be in the basketball this year, you know, Fair. speaking of the Pac-12, but um, a rare weekend for Damel where all of his sports teams won, by the way, I'm just going to gloat on that for one second. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's pretty it's pretty unfortunate. It is you, a you uh, root for the Packers in Arizona basketball. You, you want to take okay, like, but Arizona football. I'm sorry of, to keep Arizona, Arizona football needs kind of a, a boost 
you know, it's not like they're putting themselves on this platform. We kind of have to help them up there. But, um, but yeah, it's super disappointing because it's the same problem we seem to constantly have with the Pac-12 over time. And it's like, can we just one year have some support from literally any other fucking team to be good? So when we get to the end of the year, we don't have to say, oh, yeah, our best win is in conferences over an Oregon team that lost to UC Irvine. You know, it's yeah. just I think it's annoying more than anything else. Well, I think it's an embarrassment more than anything else. I'm embarrassed to say that I root for a team in the Pac-12. You ask the Shark what his thoughts are on the the East Coast view of a Gonzaga Shark. What What is the majority of the country's view on the Pac-12? Um, I the, the, the ones I mentioned. So, I mean, you get – I think people agree that UCLA and Arizona are good teams. And I think you guys are almost being unfairly uh, – critical of your own conference. Colorado went in there and beat one of the best teams in the country. I don't know if you guys saw that one, but they beat Tennessee. It's also not even Thanksgiving. So I think there's a little bit of an overreaction going on right now. I think you guys need to calm down a little bit, you know, maybe go for a walk, get some air. But when you're looking at a team like Oregon, they still should make the turn. You're looking at a, a team, you know, with your USC, who knows if they're going to make the tournament. But typically you're throwing in what, four to six teams per year. So it's not like as as if you're a complete disaster. It's not and, a complete disaster, Shark. But when you, I, I just I just set you up for for disaster disaster. <laughs> I'll splice that. <laughs> your your mother, <laughs> you got it. Yes, splice it. I'll try and splice that. But the, the thing is, is when you yes, the tournament appearances fine. Look at the national champions, right? Last one in basketball was Arizona. Last one in football was USC. The only Pac-12 representative in the college football playoff era has been Washington. They actually did an all right job against Alabama. It's just they're not threats, man. Nobody is a is a real threat outside of like three teams. And I think that's the most disappointing part, Shark. Well, and I think that's too just, that's the or, same ahead, for every yeah, it's the same for every conference. I mean, what do you guys want to make? Well, a here, here I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. You could have I... three SEC teams in the college football playoff this year. Are we talking football or or? I'm just saying as a whole. I know we're talking basketball, of course. Fine, but it's just it's it's an embarrassment, really, being part of the Pac-12. You can't tell Taylor, and I I get your gripe. I get it's their job, but you can't tell media members you got to stay up for the Stanford SDSU game when SDSU might just roll them tonight. You see what I'm saying? Like, why should they stay up? No, no one in the Pac-12 outside of two teams is giving them a reason to do so. Well, but both statements can be right. Like, it doesn't just have to be. Uh, college basketball experts don't have to stay up because the Pac-12 sucks. When in sure. reality, there's two national championships, uh, two elite eight plus contenders that are there. Like both things can be true. That like, yeah, they don't have to stay up for every game. But if the number fourteen and number eight teams are playing, they need to stay up for that. I think both of those statements can be true. I think people have been staying up for Arizona UCLA and Arizona USC, mm. and but they that's have, fine. I, These those two teams are exempt. From my but Sharks, okay, you got, but that, that's also hold on, hold on. That's also not true in a sense, though, and it's because of the Pac-12 is doing like Arizona and UCLA last year played at nine thirty was a tip-off time, straight up. It, they, it was like number four versus number eight, and Pac-12's dumbasses put them at a nine thirty Mountain Time tip. It was eight thirty I mean, in LA. You're, you're saying nine thirty to me. I'm going immediately to East Coast time. That 
what like, I'm saying. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. So there is, it is part of their own doing. Now, NASA writers have to stay up for that, even and but they still don't. So I, like, they're still there's there's a the whole convolute. The whole the whole problem with this is though, you say that the Pac-12 is going to have four to six tournament teams. Okay, great. That's probably going to be true. But it's almost like, even though this goes anti to every argument that I've ever said over the years of this podcast, it's kind of the same thing that happened to the Big Ten last year. The Big Ten wasn't as good as we all anticipated last year, I believe. or It was kind of a down year. But they still got all these tournament teams in because of the Big Ten. And it's almost like in some years, depending on what the media coverage is like, Pac-12 gets five teams in just because nobody stays up to watch their games and go, oh, yeah, well, they should get in because they're – you know, Oregon went to the Final Four a couple of years ago. They can't be that bad. You know, I I, I don't know. I, I I just don't. I it's certainly not a good start to the conference. I understand that it's early, but you can't say that it, it, being early would be a good excuse. If like, like I, it's fine with me if you use that for Tennessee. It's early, so they lost the game. But when you have like five or six teams that lost to the same level of opponent, I, I think that shifts to the. This might be a bigger problem than just like a one-off bad loss i i disagree vehemently i mean you're talking about how nobody wants to stay up to watch these games look nobody's staying up to watch vanderbilt and you know Ole miss play games in the sec nobody's staying up to watch um a a let's take a rutgers and a minnesota all right i mean that's the same for every single conference every conference is gonna be top heavy what you guys are complaining about the media not giving enough attention so you don't get enough tournament teams. So that's just horseshit. I mean, I'm not complaining. Who's complaining about that's what you can run that back. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying it. I'm saying some, in some situations, in some years, it works in the reverse manner. We're like, I don't think that given what our, this start is like, you can't tell me that the PAC 12 should have five teams in this year, but there's going to be a point where when the league cannibalizes it's, uh, itself, which is what all conferences do. Some writers who haven't watched more than three games this year are going to be like, oh yeah, Oregon, they're good enough. They should probably get in. And in reality, they probably should. I'm saying in this particular year, it might work the same way we just talked about Gonzaga, where there's just an assumption that some of these teams should get in or that the assumption is Gonzaga is good or whatever. It the seems like what you're saying, and we can land this freaking plane here, but it sounds like what you're saying is Washington, let's say that they are a perennial bubble team may not get into the tournament because the team, the teams had bad losses early in the year, coupled with the fact that we're playing at, you know, four in the morning against Hawaii or something. And that team may not get in over an other qualified team. Let's say a Seton hall that has the same resume, but everybody watches Seton hall play because Gus Johnson's calling the game at seven on a Tuesday. Look, that's what Taylor might be saying. That is not what I'm saying. This, this conversation kind of just went off the tracks. I'm, I'm saying, saying the conference sucks, sucks too. I'm saying yeah, it sucks too. Yeah, it does. Right. this year, this year, and I, I can appreciate what the Sharks saying about early, but there's, and you tried making those corollaries between Rutgers and Minnesota. Rutgers is a tournament team, by the way. Uh, who was the other one? Ole Miss. Ole Miss, I think, is was in the tournament two years ago. Um, but the point, maybe not. So was, I don't or, know. so was Oregon State. We can we can do this for a lot no, of different no, no, teams. No, 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 yeah. no, no. But okay, fine. But the point that I'm making, Shark, is. There's two, you say top heavy. It's incredibly top heavy, right? I'm talking nose and forehead heavy. Everything else is just fat and disgusting. All right. You got Arizona, you got UCLA from there. You have not only just, it's not like they're bubble teams. It's not like they're uh, average teams. They are irrelevant teams and teams with, you think something to prove Jared Haas at Stanford has something to prove. 
Okay. He's got a big one against SDSU. I'm not blaming him for losing basically in Milwaukee against Wisconsin, but I am blaming Mark Fox where there's zero juice at Cal. I am blaming Bobby Hurley where ASU has not been relevant. Now they're kind of a laughing stock. They lose to Texas Southern. Okay. USC has been pretty solid, but that was a bad loss. All right. Utah. What the hell has happened to Utah? No one cares about them since Larry Christovia. Can you tell me who Utah's head coach is? Right. The point that I'm making is there's so much irrelevance. It's not just it's not just ambivalence. It's irrelevance is what it is. And that's what's really disappointing and embarrassing to represent uh, this conference. I mean, who else am I? Yeah. Oregon State miraculous run. They went like three and 28 or something. Yeah, they uh, sucked that. They sucked that year anyway. Yeah. I mean, the point like it's BK just it's insane. It's, it's like the irrelevance and the amount of losses and the bad losses at some point, it's I, and everyone and the thing that's really put fuel on the fire for me, everyone's moving. Everyone's moving to a nicer neighborhood except for us. We are still stuck in the worst neighborhood of the power fives. And I hate, 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 hate when all of my friends are like, oh, you're in the Pac-12. Well, here's what I'll say before I let Shark jump in here. I apologize. Two weeks ago, I said, I think this is going to, I believe I said this is going to be the conference with the most coaching changes. I think that's lining up pretty accurately at this point. So it wasn't like I came into this year thinking that this conference was going to be good. I mean, we're now looking at, I mean, we're looking at at least probably five potential coaching changes in this conference currently. Uh, And our early season results are indicating that that's going to be probably the minimum amount of coaches uh, that turn over this year. Also a little salt in the wound. The one good basketball, the other good basketball school, they're out. USC is also out. Good basketball school. They're all leaving. Let me, let me just say this point, and then we we can move on. Um, have you ever heard the phrase "ductus exemplo"? No, is that Latin? It is Latin. It means lead by example. So a lot of your gripes that you guys are having about the ineptitude of the other teams in your conference, why don't you go ahead and lead by example and maybe make a Final Four at one point in the recent decade? Because all you're doing is talking about how bad and underperforming everyone else in your conference is. Meanwhile, every single year, Arizona falls flat on their face in the NCAA tournament. Next time. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that. Shark over here wants us to pull a Steph Curry from 08, 09 and tweet out, we will get this fixed (laughs) and and take the reins and become a dynasty. And we're not asking for the Pac-12 to have 12 national title contenders. We're just saying, can can the Pac-12 have six legitimate tournament teams is all we're looking for. I'll take both. Yeah, you guys are, this is totally rational. You're, you're pissed off at teams for losing a game in early November and calling it a, 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 I guess what's the right term for the a testament of the whole conference right here. So yeah, this, I don't think, I don't think blaming the team now, obviously we have the tournament problems. I understand that, but I don't think blaming the team that gets a one seed every other year is, is indicative of like what the rest of the conference is going to do. I think Arizona has done a good enough job at keeping the conference nationally relevant along with UCLA and Oregon and sometimes, but like, Arizona has been what f- a number one seed five times in the last 12 years. I don't think we need, this yeah, I don't a think discussion that's the about problem. Arizona. We yeah, always I don't think it should be. Yeah. No, I think it should be. I mean, look, you, I think you're desensitized to those sirens because you're over here just being like, Oh, it's no big deal. No big deal that you lost to UC Davis, UC Irvine, Texas, Southern Grambling state, Florida, Gulf coast, Washington can't have keep a, a clock going. Yeah. Those sirens don't even uh, raise your eyebrows anymore. I'm worried for you. I'm worried. 
All right, let's go ahead now. Enough talk from us. I want to get to this interview with Boise State assistant coach Roberto Bergerson. He was so nice, uh, very energetic, knows a lot about hoop, former NBA player, tons of experience. Let's go ahead and get to this interview. Boise State Broncos stand on up, Roberto Bergerson. All right, we now welcome to Theater and College Hoops, the 1999 Big West Conference Player of the Year, a Big West regular season champion, an all-Big West first-team selection, a Boise State Hall of Famer, NBA player, and now an assistant coach at his alma mater, Boise State. We got Coach Roberto Bergerson. Coach Berto, how are you? Thank you so much for jumping on. Congratulations on your first win. Man, thanks, thanks, thanks. I'm doing great. And uh, yeah, man, we, we were feeling good. We're feeling good about the, the, the last one we got, especially after um, the, our, our first game, we let go to a really good team. Um, but, but we definitely knew we had a lot more to give um, in that game. But man, it's just, um, it's just, it's, it's good to be here, man. It's good to be coaching. It's good to be in the gym. And, and obviously, um, it, it's, it's double good, <laughs> if that even, if that even makes sense to be at where, you know, where I had a lot of growth in, in my automotive. We're just, we're grateful, man. We're grateful to be able to be doing this. I'm certainly grateful to have you on. We're going to get into your coaching trajectory and your journey, leading you back to the school that you clearly love so much. I first want to talk a little bit, though, about that uh, that little piece of memorabilia over your left shoulder there. We had Anthony Santos on, uh, the assistant coach for Cal State Fullerton, and he had a big old Big West Champions banner <laughs> hanging up behind him. I see you got the Mountain West banner behind you, or, or a piece of a Champions basically saying man i think when you uh when you accomplish stuff like that i, I think you just got stuff everywhere because <laughs> it looks like every corner around the turn is a trophy or a sign or whatever i guess you know especially when you know as good as the season that they as they had last year um and again i'm just i'm so grateful to join the join the wave man and jump on and hopefully i don't screw it up because um you know last year's momentum was incredible um, i was at eastern washington and and even though I was there and enjoying my time there, you know, obviously this is my alma mater. So I really enjoy watching them and the success they had from afar. Um, but yeah, that, that was a big deal, man. They, they, they did it. They had a great season and um, you know, I have to admit there was a little bit of jealousy because they knocked, you know, some of my team's records down the list as far as the best seasons in school history, but, uh, but it was good to see them do it though. Yeah, good, absolutely. Good to be a part of it now. Yeah, and, and you're certainly part of the groundwork of Boise State basketball, dating all the way back to your playing days. And again, we're going to get to that. But, you know, it, it's it's always so fortunate for us to have these assistant coaches representing winning cultures. I suppose I was curious, actually, when I was putting together my list of questions for you. And we love the Mountain West. Mm -hmm. What a conference it is, especially recently last year. I think a lot of people forget that you guys are the champs. Right. I think a lot of people are honing in on SDSE with Dutcher and Matt Bradley. Terrific program. I think a lot of people are talking about Wyoming. We had Mark Rogers on. They had a lot of good transfers come in. Dangerous team. Not the champs, though. OK. And then you talk about even a Fresno State with Orlando Robinson last year. There's a lot of hullabaloo around the Mountain West. Do you feel kind of disrespected, overlooked as the champs? Um, well, I think for me personally, again, I wasn't, you know, intimately a part of the group. So I, maybe it doesn't as, affect me as much. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe some of those guys in the locker room, they might feel that way, but, but nobody's talking about it. I mean, nobody's talking about it here or nobody's voicing that, you know, here in the locker room or in every, everybody's just, 
you know, kind of got their head down and going to work and, and trying to get better every day. And I'm assuming that's um, I'm not assuming. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's why they did so well last year and why they've been able to build a very successful program is because I think Coach Rice does a really good job and the rest of the staff does a good job and the kids follow suit and they do it. Players do a good job of just staying in the moment. And so as long as you stay in the moment, you know, that's that's kind of how you have to do it, you know, be able to continue to have success. And, you know, repeating is very difficult to do. But I know um, from most of the teams that you hear from dynasties in the past, they say the way they did it was to stay in the moment. And so, yeah, there's not a whole lot of talk about that. And um, but I also think that there's a lot of, uh, you know, everybody in our program and everybody in the Mountain West recognizes that those teams did get are going to be better and they are strong and you know as well as we did last year i mean there were some close games and it could have been three or four different teams that could have actually were one second two seconds three decisions away from doing the same thing that we did um we, we were just able to you know be tough all the way down the end and make the plays at the right moments and right times so i know you weren't in boise last year but i've always stated that last year's especially the mountain west produced what we like to call the most theater you had mm -hmm. mentioned all those mm -hmm. close games Mm -hmm. in all the different venues it was so exciting to see and now you're finally back you have the rare opportunity not a lot of people can say that they're coaching at their alma mater i want to dive in coach and get your perspective on your coaching journey how did you end up back in boising on the sideline man it's been a it, i you know I, I don't know i can't speak for everybody because obviously a lot of assistant coaches or a lot of head coaches in college basketball but I would have to assume that that my journey has been a little bit unique and different from, you know, I, I think for most, especially at my age, you know, um, starting and being, a, you know, a division one assistant, uh, you know, at 46, I don't think is as common these days as maybe it was, you know, in the past. Um, and so, you know, I think I, I've always just had coaching in me because I've always liked to help people. Um, and I think um, at a young age in high school, um, I was very fortunate to have um, a high school coach who was an incredible coach. He was my high school coach, but he was also my college coach here at Boise State is how I got to Boise State initially. Um, and um, shoot, man, I owe so much of, my, of, of any F stuff I know about basketball, who I was as a player and as a coach to him. And I think I was very fortunate to learn, um, you know, how to teach, um, you know, and how to, you know, put together a formula in order to get better. Um, and, you know, through like, you know, I mean, I was kind of the guy, in college and I can even remember shoot I can remember um coach Brian Gates who's uh who's assistant for the Suns now he was my my G League coach I can remember him um we were the D League then uh yelling at me in practice one time Roberto will you sh shut up and stop talking why you know I'm talking you know how to coach everything right so I think I've always kind of had it in me um and when I retired from basketball I was doing AAU um, I really, when I retired from basketball, the biggest reason was I, I just wanted to spend more time with my kids during their developmental years. Um, and they were hoopers. They loved being in the gym. So I coached them and then I ended up coaching their friends. And then I ended up starting a club here in Boise that we wanted to, um, you know, we wanted to really kind of change the culture of basketball here in Boise. Cause it was very, very, just, it just wasn't a lot of kids that played basketball, you know, you couldn't go to a park or a YMCA or anything like that and just see kids playing. It just wasn't that they were they were playing football. I mean, I think we were probably on the on a tier list of sports. We probably below shoot lacrosse and golf or whatever. I mean, you know, so um, not to say that anything wrong with that, but we want to change the culture. And so I did that for years and years and years. And then 
you know, I started to kind of evolve the things I was doing, um, went down to Missouri and coached um, for a former Bronco as well. A friend of mine, Adam Donier, he runs the program down there and I had a great time doing it. And then when I came back, um, you know, my kids, um, they all graduated high school, went on to college, um, started to go on. And my wife and I were just kind of thinking about it and had an opportunity to go to Eastern Washington that came out of nowhere um, that I had got. I created a relationship with them. And I just kind of, you know, my wife and I just decided, like, if we're going to do it, we need to do it. And so let's jump in. And, and this is the time and give it give it our best shot. And I loved it. I loved my first year there at Eastern Washington. My wife got a full a job there. Um, we were getting ready to sign on a, a little townhouse. Um, we were set to go for our second season. Uh, brought in a couple of other former players that I had that were like kids to me. And then next thing you know, Coach Leon gives me the call to come back home. And um, I mean, we thought we were gone. We thought we were saying bye to Boise forever um, for like the, that have been like the fourth time now. And for some reason, this is just where God wants us and the city just pulled us back. And so um, we're not complaining. Um, I probably had the easiest transition probably of any assistant coach uh, ever in history to come back home and not have to get a new house or anything like that, know everybody there. And so, um, you know, I always feel bad when I'm talking to some of my coaching buddies. Yeah, we had to move and I had to wait. They're like, man, you got it easy, you know, so. It's been good. It's been good. It's been no, good. So that's that's really interesting because I was going to ask you how this opportunity specifically at Boise State arose and Leon Rice reached out to you. I'm assuming Leon Rice is a man uh, who, who looks and, and spends a lot of time on detail. He probably knew you were a legend at Boise State and that this this transition would be seamless. But you just got a call from Leon Rice and you said, wow, what a door that's really opened up. Yeah, it was amazing. And honestly, um, you know, he called uh, my head coach, Dave Riley, called him first. So he called him first and, you know, asked him for the blessing to talk to me and bring me back home. And, you know, Dave is a great dude, great coach, uh, brilliant, brilliant mind. He's young, but very wise. Um, but because he's a great dude, you know, he was like, look, Roberto, there's no way you can turn this down. You turn this down, I'm firing you. Um, so he's like, you, you know, I mean, you can't do that. And so. I've known Coach Rice for years. We've had a relationship. Um, I, I, I actually coached all three of his sons. They played, you know, for me in, in, in my program growing up. So I've known him. Um, and and I and we knew of each other and kind of crossed paths even before that because he coached junior college, community college at Yakima when I was in high school coming up. And so, um, you know, we, we, we've known each other and have relationships. And, you know, we talk basketball and we talk, you know, parenting throughout the years. You know, he's always been the type of guy that if I call, you know, either he answers the call or he calls right back. Um, I, I hope that, you know, that I've always I've, I've been that same type of person to him. You know, I've always come in the summers and, you know, he's been very welcome, you know, since day, since the day that he arrived in Boise. Um, I feel like I was one of the first people that he talked to. But I know remember the first time I talked to him, he said, you know, a big part of culture is the history. And he said, we want to make sure that you guys, um, you alumni guys are a part of this. And I want you to come talk to the team. I want you to come to summer stuff, come to practices, you know, whatever. And he was a man of his word. And so I've known him for a while and knew that he was, um, you know, he's a stand up individual, man. He's a real guy. Um, and throughout the years watching them play um, his, his philosophy, the way that he coaches and teaches basketball is the same way that I believe in doing it. 
Um, so I always, from afar, like that. Um, shoot, my oldest son. We went through the recruiting process with my oldest son and him, and you know things worked out. So we went through all those things, and um, you know, for some reason, just timing was absolutely perfect on this one. It, I don't, it, it couldn't have been timed any better. And so again, we're we're just excited to be here. The level of familiarity, not only with you being a Bronco, but also that familiarity with Coach Rice is something that I haven't seen with a lot of assistant coaches. So I think that's a terrific situation that you're in. And Coach Rice has done a remarkable job of building up this program. You alluded to this a little bit in your first response about where basketball kind of falls in the hierarchy of Boise. I know a lot of people, for me, I'm 32 years old, watching those Boise State football teams. And a lot of times you kind of forget that Boise State actually – was pretty competitive back then. But right now, for me, I expect you guys to make the tournament damn near every year. Now, that's not to say that if you don't, it's a failure. I understand Mm -hmm. how difficult those trials and tribulations of a season are. But I would say that's your expectations now, Boise State basketball, which is pretty tremendous. And now I want to focus in on this year's team, this obviously being your first year. I'm always curious to know. We're sitting here in mid-November. Excuse me. I can't imagine that any team in the country – is at their peak or playing at their peak or any coach wants them to be at their peak at this time of the year. What's the goal two games into the season? What's the goal for your program uh, and your team here in November and maybe even December? What are you guys preaching and what do you guys want to accomplish? Um, I think right now we're trying to make progress, um, you know, on, um, on our pillars, you know, I mean, we have some things that, you know, we live and die by and we're going to stand on. And I think especially when, you know, with with our program, we have some really good returners and we have some returners who who have played and been a part of the program and that know, you know, what what our philosophy is, know what we believe on, know what our foundation is. But we also have some new guys. And not only do we have some new guys, we have some new guys that we have expectations of, you know, being able to perform right now. So we got to get them up to speed quickly, um, you know, and so I think our goals is just every single practice, every single game that we're improving a little bit and getting, making, building, making sure that foundation is a little bit stronger. Um, And I think we did that in our first three games. I mean, obviously our first game was an exhibition game, um, but from that game to the South Dakota state game, to the Washington state game, um, there was definitely um, improvements on, you know, like I said, on those pillars, on that foundation of of who we want to be and what we want to be. And then you just grow from there. Like if you, like I said, if you do those things and you get better and you live in the moment, you're going to have a good chance of, of, of winning. And so um, that that's really our goals. And um, again, we're trying to get these guys. We have some really, really talented guys in the program. Some of them are still getting, um, you know, getting the program figured out, the system figured out. Some of them are still figuring out college life. Some of them are figuring out, you know, all those things. And so getting them to a point where they don't have to think about that stuff anymore. Um, they can just go. We're going to be pretty, we have a chance to be pretty special when we get to that point. What are those pillars? What is that foundation that you alluded to? Anything specific? Um, everything for us deals has to deal with toughness. We just we we want to be the toughest um, when it comes to everything. It starts everything starts mentally, right? I mean, so your 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 first effort of anything you do is going to be with your mind. So we want to be mentally tough. We want to be physically tough. We want to be emotionally tough. We want to be psychologically tough. We want to be absolutely um, our whole team together. We want to be the toughest, um, you know, group toughest individuals that, you know, that that step on the floor and that play and that live every single day. And so, you know, part of that is just doing 
things daily. You know, I mean, that that toughness is being able to do repeatable things over and over again. We're not coming and, you know, um, you know, boxing out Monday and then on Tuesday we don't box out anymore. You know, we're not going to study hall on Thursday and then, you know, and then skipping on Friday. I mean, that's just not we're not going to come and have this great energy and be, you know, be unselfish to our teammates, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday and then not on Thursday just trying to build that consistency to be the toughest group that we want to be. Um, and um, so that's the start of it. And then after that, um, we want to be great, a great rebounding team. We want to be, we want to win the rebounding battle every single night. Um, and then after that, we want to be unselfish. We want to be very unselfish. We want to be able to play for others. Um, we want to be, and in times, we, we, you know, we talk about being selfishly unselfish because a lot of times you don't understand um, being unselfish is not meaning that you're passing the ball or you're doing this. Sometimes being unselfish is meaning you're taking the shot when you're supposed to take the shot. You're talking to your teammates and letting them know that you're open when you're open instead of just hoping that they pass the ball. Um, you know, you're you're making sure that you cut so hard that you're demanding two guys, right? So there's you, you, there's some things to teaching, um, especially young kids you know, how to be selfishly unselfish, but we want to be an unselfish team and we want to be able to move the ball um, and find, you know, the best shot. And so those are three of our, our pillars that we, that we live by. That's huge. And let me tell you something, coach, I'm going to steal selfishly unselfish in my day to day. Like when my <laughs> wife says I can't have that extra piece of lasagna or something, I'll be like, look, sometimes hey, I got to be selfishly. Hey, you got to help her out, right? You're trying to help her. You're trying, trying to help her. That's the way it goes. Hey man, that's, that's, I love that. I'm taking that back to my everyday life coach. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this young season. So you've played three games, one of them being an exhibition, but I want to hone in on the two games that you've played here in the regular season. I was watching that South Dakota state game. And like you had mentioned quality opponent, they're another team that when I look at them, I'm like, all right, I expect them to be announced on selection Sunday. When I was watching that, it seemed like you guys were playing behind for about 30 minutes of game time there. Uh, what were some of the big takeaways from that game? Because of course you did ultimately lose, but you battled back and it took a last second layup uh, from, from the Jackrabbits to win that game. What were some of the takeaways from night one? Well, like you said, we need to get off to a better start. <laughs> you know, we want to make sure that we get off to a better start. And that we're, you know, we're starting from the tip, um, just, you know, whether we make shots, don't make shots, execute, don't execute, trying to, you know, figure out what teams is running, whatever the case may be, from the jump, from the tip, um, everyone, the team that you're playing against, the referees, the people watching, everyone knows that this is not going to be an easy game. This is going to be a battle because we are going to be, we're going to be tough. And whether we're tougher than everyone else, but no one's going to be tougher than us, right? Like we got to be done. So we had to make sure that we, um, we have to make sure that we have better starts a hundred percent for sure. And so that was a big takeaway for us. Um, you know, another takeaway for us was just, was, was execution. It really was offensively and defensively. Um, we felt like we missed a lot of opportunities to do things that we could control. Um, and one of those things that is one of our, like I said, it's one of our standards is the rebounding. Um, we didn't feel like that we did a good enough job of doing our job, you know, a hundred percent of the time, you know, boxing out, making sure that we're going, making sure that they don't, you know, get guys in. And, and there were some things there that we needed to get better at. Um, another thing that we needed to get better at was, you know, making sure that we, that we knew our scout and we were responsible for the scout first game of the season you know, that's part of, that's part of it too. You know, like I said, we got some guys that, 
you know, they're coming from high school or coming from, you, you, you know, um, maybe a prep program or whatever it is that we expect to play that have never done scouts before. They've never done personnel scout before. Eh? So they're learning not only how to do a scout, but how to carry the scout over from practice to the game. So, um, you know, we definitely think we gave some scout points that we had to, you know, we had to take from there. Um, and then, you know, after that, we, we just um, going back to being the selfish, the unselfish, um, just finding great plays, great opportunities, uh, passing up maybe some good ones. Because we have some really, really, really talented offensive players that can, you know, kind of find plays, find buckets, you know, whenever they want to. You know, getting them to understand that that's a good play. We'll take that play, but there might be a greater one, maybe one that's a little bit more efficient. And we're gonna, we're really, we're gonna sacrifice, um, you know, good for great. And um, you know, they're all like so, such coachable kids and so unselfish that there wasn't, you know, there's not no, you know, they weren't doing it and doing it, you know, selfishly, and there wasn't any pushback on it. It's just them learning how to play in the flow of our office and learning who their teammates are and learning, okay, maybe this one it might be a little bit better just being more efficient. Yeah. And certainly a long season. Uh, I think every team is in the position of trying to improve, get better, see what they can take away. Uh, I want you now to take us into the nitty gritty, take us into the film room coach okay because you're offering a perspective that not a lot of people can see we're just slobs on the couch watching it from uh watching the game but you have the ability to hop in the film room especially after the game and break down sort of the the key takeaways and what you can improve on and i want to hone in on the game winning basket from matt dentlinger when mm. you looked at that again uh what were some of the things that you saw on that on your defense and uh areas for improvement what you maybe could have done better or was it uh, something where you're just like, well, damn, this was just a really nice play. Good execution from the Jackrabbits. Take us through that film room session on the last play. Man, I'll tell you what. Um, I mean, again, as everybody knows, I mean, I, well, I shouldn't say everybody knows, but people should know it's never one play, you know, and it wasn't just, you know, that one play that determined our win or loss. I mean, we, we looked at the tape and we probably gave away probably 15 to 16 plays single plays that could have been the difference in the game um and momentum but that last play was very good execution by their part um not only is it very very good execution you know watching it what they did conceptually they had did that before in the game so it's something that they have been taught but not only been they taught they've carried it over they're a very 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 coachable team they're very 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 good players they're smart and so um for us watching that, you 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 already know and you can tell that man that was that was tough and they, and and we even actually we didn't totally break down but we broke down enough to be able to give them you know a play but you know a kid even made a tough basket he had to reverse it it wasn't easy um, but for us the first thing that happened is we did we gave up drastic penetration like we gave up drastic penetration which for us is one of our rules you know we do not want the ball to be able to go to the to get into the paint. We want to keep the ball to paint, which most teams are doing now. I mean, it should be obvious, but we have to, we want to keep it out of the paint um, and make people, force people into taking a tough two, which we didn't. We let the ball go all the way to the paint. We did have help step up, which um, that situation that happened, we, we, a lot of times we don't, we don't want our bigs to step up and come to help. We just kind of want them to maybe make it, make it tough for them, slow them down. And then instead of stepping up and leaving that man, make that guy shoot a tougher shot, maybe a floater or a mid range or a contested one, instead of giving up the easy dump down the lane. 
And then when he did step up, um, you know, our crack back or check back, whatever, you know, verbiage you want to use, he didn't get over far enough and come in and sit sit on the legs of the big. And the big was able to escape and, and, and get a layup. And, I mean, it, it was, a, like I said, it wasn't anything. They didn't run any crazy play. They just executed their concepts, you know, to a T on that. And you can tell that they're, like I said, they, they're they they're well coached and, um, and the kids executed it. So it, it's one of those deals that, in that situation, conceptual basketball can be a lot harder to stop a lot of times than a play, and 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 that's what they did. And you got to be able to play basketball and make a play in that situation. Fascinating breakdown there, Coach. I really appreciate you taking us in depth. I don't know if a lot of our listeners are able to sort of see that. So that that was a great breakdown, and I promise I'm not going to harp on on this loss. So I, so I want to pivot now to your win. You beat a pretty solid Washington State team to uh, improve your record to 500 and he came out in pretty convincing fashion. I would say you led pretty much the entire way, if not the entire way against the Wazoo team uh, that boasts potentially a all pack 12 player in uh, Muhammad guy. And you had mentioned scouting. I'm sure he was at the top of your scouting report. Take us through pivoting from that tough loss on night one at home to regrouping, getting ready for a stud in college basketball and eventually playing a really strong performance. Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, the, the San Diego State lost, like, that hurt. Like, that hurt. Guys were, were, were you know, they were sour, um, which is good. You know, I, I mean. I'm going to also just say real quick, South Dakota State, you had mentioned San Diego State. I'm trying to give you as much uh, uh, – positive uh, positive vibes so you don't lose to san diego state how about that <laughs> that's okay give me the we need we're gonna need those vibes because they're gonna be good too um but yeah guys were sour about the, over to south dakota state you know loss and you know you always are trying to learn and you definitely i think everybody that's been around long enough to sports you know find it a lot more enjoyable to learn from winning than losing um but I really do. And it's not just, you know, I think a lot of times we can come here and say, well, moral victories and we can stay stuff. But I really do believe with this group that um, if we would have had one or, one or two of those plays that would have made helped us to win the game against South Dakota State, I don't know if the guys would have came back as ripe as they were. Like they came back and the next practice, we were on it. Like we were on it. We were really on it. And so we ended up having – three good practices in a row where they were just, I mean, like I'm looking at them like, oof, yeah, we got some dogs in here. Like they, they, they wanted to get it. So I definitely think we needed that. And that led us up obviously in our preparation for, for Washington state. And I think that helped us propel us to, you know, to go in and play really well against them. Um, but yeah, going into, as far as the scouts concerned, yeah, Muhammad, you got to, right. I mean, you, you know, you know, his potential. And so we definitely had to be thinking about him and, and keen and keen on him and how to play him and how to guard him because he's really a talented player. Um, but not just him, man, the Powell kid, the game before that, I mean, he was incredible. We were like, Oh my goodness, he's going to be a handful to stop. Um, the Mullins kids coming from St. Mary's, you know, those guys are always really good. Um, we knew they had some young kids, the young French kid coming in. We knew he was good. Bamba coming back. Rodman is a handful. Like they had guys that we were like, look, we have to be on them. And, yeah, Muhammad could be a first team, you know, he's potentially, but shoot, man, Bamba, the way he played, he looked like he's going to be the potential pro and he, and he played really, really good against us. I was really impressed. 
Um, you know, when I was at Eastern last year, we played them. And, you know, after the game was over, I shook his hand and said, man, you improved since last year, man. Like, you you, you, you can play, man. That was – you had a heck of a game and looked like you've really, you know, focused. So, they um, – man, they were good. Like, they were good. They had good dudes. I just think we um, – again, I think we did a really good job of, um, you know, of our standards. We played tough. Like, we really, 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 really played tough. We got off to a slow start that game. And just we toughed it out like we toughed it out um, and and just hung in there and stayed in there. We, we we did a really good job. We were what we did better this game than we did in South Dakota State is we at, we did a really good job of, um, you know, making them making them respect the basket. You know, we, we got the ball inside. We rim run. We had a lot of paint touches, a lot more paint touches than we had um, and paint t- executable executed paint touches against Washington State, um, you know, offensively. And then defensively, we redid a really good job with our scout. Um, you know, even as good as the job we did with our scout, they they kind of some, – some of the guys outplayed their scout, to be honest with you. They did a really good job. I was impressed with some of their guys. So, um, so yeah, we stuck in there, and it was just a good, tough win. And it was a really balanced win. We did a really good job of finding great ones. Like, we had a couple of guys – that are really good, can make shots, that especially in the second half, passed up some good ones, found some great ones. We got some layups. So it was it was good. We were we were happy with our effort. And then now, you know, we came back um today and was like, okay, now we gotta, we gotta, we gotta stay being the hunter. We gotta, you know, we're we're start, we're zero, we're on oh right now. We got we gotta play this next game and we gotta be just as hungry. And we had a good day today. I love to hear it. You mentioned your words two straight games where you've gotten slow starts. At what point does that become if to the coaching staff saying to yourselves, all right, is this a theme? Is this something that we need to nip in the bud right now? Like what's the, what's the thought process to try and eliminate and, and get off to faster starts? I think you always kind of, you know, you, you, you always should have it either on your mind at some point, whether it's the top of your mind or the back of your mind, you, you have it in there because it's something that you want to, you know, uh, again, get across and, and encourage um, the, the guys to make sure that, Hey, you know, we're ready or whatever it is. I think the Washington state game, we actually, we, we actually were more ready. We just, I, I think we just missed a couple of, of, of gimmies and here and there we actually had, um, uh, one of our plays should have been a goal team. The ref even said, he, you know, he he, he missed the call. Uh, Muhammad hit the rim on something. That would have been a bucket that we could have got. So I think there was some, some you know, some unfortunate things um, that happened. So I think our effort and our focus and our energy and our execution last game was better than the first one. So it's not like, you know, so we're not panicking at all. No one's saying, oh, because it, we, we saw, you saw the improvement. Like we saw from the first game to the second game, even though, um, the results didn't look that way. You, you don't always judge, you know, success by results. You know, did you do, did you change something? Did it get better? And I think our execution was better and I think it's going to take care of itself. Sitting here as a fan in November, what I love the most is the infancy of the year and all the hope and encouragement that teams have. And I know you're going to play Colorado state. I know you're going to play San Diego state, man. I know you got Fresno state. I know you got all of these great mountain West teams and they're going to be awesome games for me as a fan. They might be a heart attack for you. I apologize, but they're going to be great for me. But as I sit here today, the non-conference schedule is always such a blast. 
and I'm looking at your non-conference schedule, two games really popped out to me. You're going to go to Texas to play Texas A&M and Buzz Williams, and you're also going to go to St. Louis, who is my pick, preseason pick, to win the A-10, despite Dayton being a very good team. St. Louis and Travis Ford have, have a great roster as well. You're obviously going to approach every single game maybe the same, and each game matters. But when you look at that Tamu game, that St. Louis game, do you sort of see those as measuring sticks maybe a little bit more than some of the other non-con games? Oh, man. Um, at this point, I don't think so. I think when you get there, it will be. Like I think, because I think right now again, it's just it's just day to day stuff, and we're not kind of looking ahead. I, I, you know, I know I'm not. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe Coach Rice, with it, you know, he's got a lot more experience, you know, in this head coach than I do. So maybe he's looking ahead, but I'm not. And it, you know, there's no conversations, uh, you know, around uh, around a team about that. And so I don't. It, at this point, it's not. But for sure, when we get there and we get to those games, those are going to be games that we're going to be able to say be able to kind of measure ourselves a little bit more like, wow, we did well in this area or we didn't do well in that area. I mean, shoot, man, going to Fort Worth supposed to be a neutral site game in Fort Worth. I was just going to say, you got two road games. (laughs) We got two road games. So going there, especially being there, it's going to be a good, you know, opportunity to see how our, you know, our guys will react in that type of environment against that type of team. And then, yeah, going to the Lou, that's going to be, you know, f- you know, phenomenal. And, you know, I love those guys and that, and that coaching staff. Um, shoot, my, 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 my oldest son's best friend, who, who I, I coached since he was like eight years old, graduated from there last year, played for them. So I kind of got a little, little, little spot in there to, to go ahead and get some bragging rights, make sure we whip them so I can call him. He's playing in Portugal right now, so I'll make sure that he, he'll be – I'm sure he'll be watching, but I'll let him know. So, yeah, so that's going to be a that'll, – that'll definitely be a measuring stick for us. No, I'm really excited for those two games, and we had alluded to them basically being two road games. But yeah. if there's – I'll tell you what. If if there's a mid-major conference that preps you for road games, man, it's the Mountain West. I, I know I feel like I'm belaboring the point, but when you go to Fort Collins, when Ooh. you go to Viejas, man, when you go to all of these venues, it's tough. It's like when you go to Laramie, I, I got to keep giving a shout out to my guy, Mark Rogers. When you play at that altitude, right? There's not many conferences that prep you for these hostile environments against quality opponents, even if it's out of conference. You know, I, I haven't played everywhere and in every arena and all that, but I've played a lot of places and I've played all over the world and I've played and you go to Europe and it's a whole another level of, of craziness. But this conference and like you said, some of the places, you know, some of the environment, but the fans, you're not getting anybody. You, you're not going to anywhere like Logan. Those fans are in it to win it. Like they are that that's their team. They bleed that you're not doing it. You're not going to Laramie. Them fans are crazy. You're not going to the pit and thinking you about to escape without somebody saying something crazy to you and on you the whole time. I, I, in my opinion, I mean, you can look down the list. I just don't think as far as, yeah, like you said, the, the environment, I, I don't know if there's another conference in the country that is tougher to play. I mean, every single place you go is, I mean, our fans are, are incredible. Like, like it gets, you get, you know, you, you get to, 12, 13,000 in there. Like, I, I don't know if I've ever had a better feeling as, you know, being like 
they all when I when I was playing, they gave us juice. And the other night against South Dakota State, like man, I'm walking through the tunnel. I was like, man, I got that feeling all over again. It was, it, it was, it was, it was, it was incredible. It was great. So, yeah, this, it's a man. It, 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 this is not. This is a rough road. This is a war zone in this conference, and I'm, I'm excited to be around it because that, that kind of stuff kind of fuels me. I love, I, I love the crowds and 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 the, and when they get raucous and. I like, you know, I, hopefully I don't get in trouble from Coach Rice. I, I like to turn around and talk a little bit myself to some of the fans, but hopefully I can stay dialed in. But this, 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 it's, it's easy to lose your focus in this conference because the fans out there, they get, they know how to get to you. They know how to get to you. They know how to get to you. I'm going to be watching your games quite often, and I'm going to be looking for you, see if you do a little chirp, chirp action there, <laughs> right, Coach? Uh, no, and I, I feel like I should apologize to, New Mexico State or New Mexico, excuse me, New Mexico and also Utah State, because I've been honing in on the conference or the tournament teams last year. But those venues are tremendous as well. So, yeah, I've got the, the pit. The whole yeah. conference is, man, you ain't it leaving is. nobody out. The whole conference is. It's, it's a tough one. It absolutely is. So fun, though. it's fun, though. Like it like, is. Who wouldn't want to play in that environment. Like who wouldn't want to play in games like that? Like, I, like, I mean, it's fun. It's fun. Well, I got to think that's a recruiting edge almost right you you go into someone's living room and you're like turn on the tv i'm the midwest east coast biggest proponent i'm like you guys got to stay up past 10 30 p.m man and yeah. watch these finishes yes 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 it's crazy it's crazy when i first when i first got the job man i went back and watched because i i like i said i pay attention so i knew the games but i didn't know it like that and i mean i watched every game i watched all their practices but the game i was like oh my goodness like you guys was in scraps every single game. Like, and that's what's even more impressive to be and win all those close games. Like, and it was just, they were just wheeling them out. Like they were just wheeling the games out. And so, yeah, I, I got a chance to, to see that. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it and being in person. Yeah. And winning those games against really talented teams with great players. Like I had mentioned a guy like Matt Bradley last year, Orlando Robinson, David Roddy for Colorado state, but you know what Boise state has some dudes as well. And you mentioned uh, your roster. I'm going to hone in on two guys. Okay. I would say one of the top backcourts in America, Mm -hmm. you guys have Marcus Shaver, Mm -hmm. Max Rice, Mm -hmm. elite, elite. In my opinion, both seniors, are you seeing a sense of urgency from those guys you think because this may may be their last year talk to us a little bit about the dynamic of max rice and marcus shaver well um i mean i'll start with marcus um again it's it's tough for me being my first year yeah again i've been around the program i come i come watch him at open gyms you know um during the summers i'll come and watch practice um and but I don't I, I haven't been able to be there every single day intimately to know exactly how they're made up and how they're not made up. Um, but with Marcus, I know from day one when he came in and he transferred from Portland, I remember I feel like maybe it was like one of the first open gyms he was in. This man was making game winner after game winner. Like and he was I was like, dang, he's different. Like he's different. Like he has a different type of mojo to him than a lot of people do. So I always noticed that about him. Um, and then every time I was around, he's very meticulous. You know, he's very meticulous in the way he works um, and he gets his stuff done. And so I just think that's him. Like, I don't know if he has it. I, I wouldn't be able to tell and I wouldn't be able to answer that responsibility. But to me, from what I've seen, 
it seems like that's who he is and that's how he's always carried himself is I mean, he gives 100 percent um he's very meticulous in the way he works he always gets his extra work in um you know film stuff i mean he is definitely um you know when people talk about being a pro he is definitely a consummate pro in the way he approaches um you know himself in the game and and, and how he lives and so um you know i i like i said I, I don't think there is i think that's just him i think that's just him um he is uh but he is like he's special man like he is a big shot maker like i mean i just it, it like we be in practice and doing stuff and running down i know i mean like every time i don't i i, I a lot of times i don't even watch I'll just start doing my notes already because I know he's like, you know, game over. Like he's going to make he's he's going to make that he's going to make that shot. Um, as far as Max is concerned, um, I've been knowing Max for a long time. Like I said, I coached him when he was young, a young dude. Um, but with him, I, I've definitely seen and he and he is too. Max is, you know, Max puts his time in. Max is a competitor like he is. He's always a competitor. He's a super competitor. Um, he's very confident in himself. And I think last year he had kind of a certain role. And then we, you know, we lost some of those guys. You know, we lost the boo. We lost E-Man. Um, you know, we lost the near, you know, halfway through the season. So I know Max coming into this season was like, okay, you know, I this is who I was last year. I'm coming in. I got some expectations. I need to do a little bit more. I need to, so I know he came in with a little bit of a chip to be like, I need to get better at this. Coach Berto, can we work on this? Coach Les, can we work on this? So he wanted to get better at some things. And I think he, he does have a little bit of a, of, of a little bit more of a chip and a swag on him. And maybe not so much as like, you know, he wants to win. You know, I mean, he, he, you know, for him, it's like, we ain't just, we trying to, expectations is to go to the tournament. We trying to win one more game. We win one more game. That means we got a chance to win some more. We're trying to win more and more. So I know he's got that, but I also think he's put some stuff on his shoulders to say, hey, I can do more. I can help this team out even more than what I've done before and take some responsibilities of being a leader. Shaver and Rice, man, supremely talented backcourt. But I want you to tell us a little bit about some guys that the country may not know about. Coach, I said on last episode with uh, with my co-host that right now it's very important to lay claim to, quote-unquote, your boys, your guys, all right? I I made I laid claim to uh, Mike Shravyams over at Dayton. I don't know mm -hmm. if a lot of people know about him, mm -hmm. but I think he's going to be a damn good player. Mm -hmm. Who are some of the guys, Coach, right now for Boise State that the country may not know about, but come February, as we enter March Madness tournament prep, when you're thinking about conference winners and, and, and NCAA tournament winners, who are some of the guys that you want the country to know about that are being slept on a little? Uh, T. Deggy, Tyson Degenhardt. And, and if anybody don't know, you will know, and, and, and you're going to know that name. That, the kid is different. He's just different. Like, he, he is – he 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 just his approach the way he thinks the way he plays his toughness um yeah he's not about to come out and you know do no 360 windmill east bay and jump off the page and warm-ups he ain't gonna do that but he is going to deliver every single night he's gonna be the most productive player on the floor um he's gonna get stuff done and he's a winner he just um like i said he's different just the way he thinks is different and um it makes him special he's very unique he he's he's the dude he's gonna have a big year for us and he's going to have a huge career he's gonna play this game for a long time as long as he wants to um just because mentally you know his his, his mental and emotional approach is just it's just different he's he's 
Uh, he's a warrior, and he's going to last. So he's going to do really well. He's going to have a good year. He's added to my list, man. I, I got it. <laughs> he's added to the list. I appreciate the insight. Hey, we're going to get you out of here on a few quick hitters. Okay. Uh, very curious to know about this. Take us through the nat- night you got drafted, because we don't get a lot of NBA players. We don't get a lot of people who have heard their name called. Take us through that moment. Man, man, that night was a culmination. It's, it's hard to tell the story without telling the long one. So, so I'll try to tell us the long one. No, please. I, 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 I'll convince it, though. Um, I, I mean, obviously, coming from number one, coming from Tacoma, Washington, where we didn't have anybody. I don't think there was, there might have been one old guy or something that played. We didn't have NBA guys coming from there. And then coming from Boise State, you know, Chris Childs, you know, made it a little bit. But after eight years of being in the CBA, um, there was not expectations for, for, for that. And then, so once, you know, once I graduated and people started, okay, yeah, go to pre-draft and this and that and doing all that. My agent was like, man, you got a chance. And I'm finding myself on draft boards, you know, uh, mid, late first round, second round. And it's like, wow, like this is a dream come true. Um, and then uh, I went to pre-draft camp in Chicago and, um, and was having a great camp and got discovered that I had a, a heart issue. I had a, um, an enlarged heart. They discovered it during pre-draft camp. And so I had two good days. Third day, I didn't get to compete. They sent me off to do a bunch of testing. I got completely wiped off of draft boards. Everybody thought I was done. So I had to go do a bunch of testing. And once I did testing, I went through it for about two weeks or so. Um, doctors cleared me. Doctors at the Mayo Clinic, doctors in um, at the uh, Swedish Institute in Seattle cleared me. And you know, then I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it may or may have affected it or not. Maybe some people, you know, didn't want to take a chance or, or not. So, so be it. But at that point, there were some teams jump back on and we're talking. And so going into, um, going into the draft night, um, man, it was supposed to be, I was supposed to take the day off. That was supposed to be my first day off I had taken in like, you know, three years or whatever, but I was awake at like four o'clock in the morning. And so I went in Tacoma to the downtown Y, um, which was open, like, I don't know, I think it was maybe five or something. And I just went and it was just like, you know, messing around shooting because I couldn't sleep. So we did the draft. We did a draft deal at my grandparents' house, um, 40th and Pacific, where I grew up at in Tacoma. And we did that. And, you know, friends and family were there. Um, we had high expectations because um, my agent was saying there was two teams that were playing on that wanted to take me in the first round, Vancouver um, and Utah. Vancouver had the number two pick. And um, how cool would it have been if you were able to go to Vancouver? Just oh my like goodness, it would have been an hour away. If that. Oh, it was an hour away, it would have been really cool. I loved it there, the coaching staff, all of that. Um, but they had the number two pick, they weren't going to take me with the two pick. And Steve Franchise had made it well known, he didn't want them to choose him. So they were planning on trading it for a lower pick, getting a veteran, they were going to take me. And then obviously, when it went down, they didn't because they probably couldn't make the trade. So then later in the in the rant, in the draft, I think 21 or 22, my agent was like, hey, Utah's down to two guys. You're one of the guys. You got a good chance. They haven't made their, their 50-50, blah, blah, blah. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, waiting. Name calls. It's Quincy Lewis from Minnesota. I had worked out with him a lot and knew him, and he was a good player too. When that happened, I think my heart sunk. I thought I, – I just thought it was – I was like, man, I don't I – don't, I was thinking that I wasn't going to get drafted, and I was, you know – and so um, I was sunk. I really was pretty sunk. Um, I can remember. I'll never forget it. I had three phones. I had my grandmother's landline. I had my cell phone. I think I had my wife's cell phone because I just didn't want to miss any call, you know, and it was like, and, and you know, service, you know, I kind of live in the city in the hood a little bit. Service is always bad in there. 
So we're waiting. And then my agent finally calls me and he was like, hey, Detroit is saying they want to take you with like, I don't know, 32 or something like that early in the second round. Um, however, um, Portland is calling and they want you. They want to take you, but they don't have a pick. They're trying to uh, trade for a pick. They're trying to trade a pick. If they take it, they trade for a pick. They're going to take you, but it may be later in the second round and they may not be able to trade for it. So what do you want to do? Do you want me to just tell Detroit, hey, take them? Or do you want to take the chance and wait and go to Portland? You go to Portland, you get picked by Portland. You got They're going to guarantee you a two-year deal. You're going to get to play behind Steve Smith and Detlef Shrimp and Damon Stoudemire and Greg Anthony. You're going to learn. And I'm just like, and it's Portland. I'm like, hey, you do what you got to do, but I would I would take that in a heartbeat. I'd love that, you know. Um, I, I just I said yeah, and so I think my agent called him, and we waiting and waiting and waiting, and there wasn't nothing. And the next thing you know, uh, I don't even remember what number it was forty something, fifty something. Atlanta Hawks, they traded Atlanta Hawks, so it said you know when the pick came, it was Atlanta Hawks drafted you, and I just broke into tears. I ain't gonna lie, I was it was it was it was at that to that point. Next to my son being born, it, it was the most emotional. Um, it was the most emotional, um, you know, uh, moment that I had. My whole family went crazy. Everybody went nuts in there, you know, jumping on my head and stuff. My son, my, my son was my, you know, what was going on? That was a, like I said, that was a culmination of a lot of stuff, man. I had a crazy journey, man. I, I was, I was a kind of a knucklehead kid growing up, and and you know, I lost out on a lot of stuff. Um, I went to UW my freshman year, ended up transferring, went to three different JUCOs. Um, it was all my myself. Um, I was lost for a while. Um, I got saved by my high school coach to come to Boise State. So it was definitely not something that I ever thought was going to happen. But it, it was a culmination, and I was I was definitely glad that it happened. It was it, it, like I said, there was there there was a moment that I'll never forget. So, man, thank you, thank you for sharing that amazing, amazing detail and some of the names that you referenced, it's probably so cool. You got all these teams in front of you and you're like, damn, maybe I could play alongside one of the best German international players at that time, Detlef Schrepp, right? Maybe I can be in my own backyard in Portland or, or Seattle. And speaking of Portland, or not Seattle, excuse me, Vancouver. But, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible. And I thought what was most interesting is the fact that you mentioned you're from Tacoma. And you're like, you know what, not a lot of people come out of Tacoma. Here we are sitting in 2022, man. You look back at the SeaTac area. We had Landon Lucas on on the offseason. He's from Oregon. We had Jeremy Pope, who's over at Portland, right? That, so that's not Seattle, but it's close enough. It's the Pacific Northwest. You got the number one overall pick from last year coming out of Seattle. Jason Terry, man, Avery Bradley, all these studs coming out of SeaTac. How proud does that make you? To, to sort of, you know, no pun intended with the Oregon stuff, but kind of be a trailblazer. Man, it, <laughs> that's a good one. Um, just you talking to it gives me chills. And I'm like getting because because it is it is so um, I'm so proud, you know, not only of just, you know, those guys and what they've done, but I'm so proud to be a part of it and to be part of that of, of that culture. And it is I, I don't know if there's a. I don't know if there's a better culture, basketball culture, than in the Northwest Tacoma, Seattle. I mean, and those guys, like, I, I give those guys a lot, a lot, a lot of credit. Um, Doug Christie, Jamal Crawford, Isaiah Thomas, Nate Robinson. 
them dudes have embraced the culture and they have pushed it along and carried it along and they've nurtured something that is just incredible. And now it is just kids hand over foot, just they're hoopers, man. And the kids and their kids that love to hoop, love to hoop, just love to hoop. And so I love being able to go back and not only watch, um, but be a part of it or, or give whatever I can give. And, you know, um, again, I started a program here in Boise and, and really tried to, you know, help this culture. But I mean, we would take our teams, we would go back to Seattle four times a year, Portland three times a year, go to Spokane. And a lot of it was just, man, I wanted to go, you know, I wanted them to go and c- compete against the best because it was good. But I also wanted to go home man. I wanted to go home and see my guys and play against guys and be and just, again, be able to still continue to be around the culture and be a part of it. And uh, it is. It's incredible. There's a correlation in my in my estimation between the rise of SeaTac players and also the rise of Boise State hoops. A few years ago, whenever it was, I don't know. You say to yourself, "Oh wow, that's kind of a surprise that Boise State made the tournament. That's kind of a surprise that this guy's from SeaTac." Now, like I had mentioned to you, I feel like that's the expectation: Boise State making the tournament. And now, mm-hmm. if someone's like, "Oh yeah, this amazing players from Seattle, from Tacoma," I'm like. I don't bat an eyelid. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah that's the same yeah. as, oh, yeah. he's from New York City or he's from Los Angeles <laughs> or he's from Dallas, right? Like, it's it's pretty incredible where we're at today, and, and, and it's really neat. Um, so, yeah. Coach, we're going to continue on with these quick hitters. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about not your relationship with Leon Rice, but the relationship between Leon Rice and dogs? <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. And I love it because I'm a dog lover myself, man. My wife actually works at a uh, at a pit bull rescue. Um, we we actually have our own, you know, rescue dog that we ended up having to adopt or whatever. So we're dog lovers. So me coming in and him having that, like that was to me, that was the only sign I needed, man. He loved dogs. He's a good dude. He's a good dude. Anybody that loves dogs is, is all right with me. But yeah, man, he is like the dog whisperer. Like we can go to the most random place. And again, I love dogs and I'm really like, sometimes I get over, like he'll go to the most random dog and just go up to him. And I'm like, coach, you got, you know, you got to kind of feel him out. Nah, he's the dog whisperer for sure. Um, but he's got two dogs, uh, Stella and Zara, and they come, they'll come to practice, running around, you know, up in the mezzanine. They'll come to the, to the practice facility. We'll be in there shooting. They'll be over there just kind of watching, you know, anybody that comes to the house, um, yeah, man, he is. He's all about dogs and his dogs. They're, they're great. They're the best dogs in the world. They're super smart. He's got them well trained. He is. He's, he's the dog whisperer for sure. Yeah, I remember watching a game last year. It was a primetime game, I think, and they did a highlight. I think he takes his dogs on a walk before every home game, something along those lines. And you know what? This might be an in for for my wife. She doesn't really care that much about sports in general, but we got a dog as well. We got a little Welsh Terrier that's probably could use some of uh, Coach Rice's mentorship because <laughs> she's just a terribly behaved dog. But you know what? That's, my wife calls it her personality. Uh, so, you know, that, that might be the end. This might be, she, you know, you might've gained a fan with my wife because hey, of, anyways, uh, anyway, to get them in over to the, over to the light side, right? We got to get them, we got to suck them in somehow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, so we are, let's, let's do a hypothetical. We're okay. in your huddle. Boise State's up three, seven seconds left. Opponent has the ball. Mm. Are we fouling up three? <laughs> well, number one, that that depends. <laughs> that depends. That that's the, that depends. Uh, yeah, 
you know what? I'm one of those guys that no matter what the numbers say, I'm going to never do the same thing every type of guy. I'm a guy that depends on the situation. Number one, depends on how where they're shooting it, who their shooters are. Depends on how well we're rebounding for that game. Depends on the refs, you know, who who's refing that game. Where you know, or or it depends okay. on my interaction with the ref that game. You know, are they you know are they looking to give me an extra one or not? Um, I would say if, if all those things were, you know. If all those things were like normal, um, depends on where the ball is at. But I think if if it's if it's in a full court situation, I think I'm gonna give it a couple of seconds. I think I probably would foul if all things were normal. Yeah. But I, I can't say, man. I, I think it like for me, it would have to be a feeling. It would have to be. It would. It would be a. I would. I would make a gut decision on how everything was going at that moment. You know what? I like that. You're the third coach I've asked. One was an emphatic yes. The other was an emphatic no. <laughs> and now I was looking for a tiebreaker, but you know what? It's not necessarily black and white. You got all those variables to take into I'm, account. I'm, I'm, I'm the on-the-fence guy, the guy that people say never should be, right? I'm, I'm the guy that gets, like, Miyagi's gets squashed like the grape. And... <laughs> it's, it's, it's good insight for us, though. And uh, I'll get you out of here on these last two. Toughest environment you have been in. You, it can be... But I wanted to limit to college, so I know you've had a great okay. pro career. But okay. playing in college or coaching in college, toughest environment, road environment you've been in? Um, toughest, without a doubt, hands down, no question, Logan, Utah, Utah State. Without a doubt. They are rabid. Without a doubt. I, I'm not in college. I, I never, I never, not in college. You know what? Last year coaching at Montana State, they got close. They got close. Last year we played there. They had some of the best stuff that I've seen. It was, it was actually, they got me a couple times, actually humorous, but they got close, but, but, but not close. You, you, Logan, Utah, Utah State is by far from where I've coached and played. They, they're, they're a whole nother level. Their fans are another level. <laughs> Hey, the the reason I know that's so real is number one, obviously you've been incredibly transparent, but you talked about them unprompted earlier in this episode. <laughs> I didn't even bring up Utah State earlier in this episode, so I know you got some stories from there. Man, I, I heard some things in that building. I heard some things that I that that is unrepeatable, man. You repeat you repeat that. You might you might have to go into uh you, you know protective pro protective program or something. You repeat those things. Yeah, I'm sure about it. Well, hey, Coach, this has been amazing. You've been so generous with your time. I'm going to get you out of here on our last segment. This is what we ask every single guest that's been kind enough to jump on. It's called Bring Them Up on Stage, okay? Do you have anyone, colleague, friend, man or woman that played coaching circle that's affiliated with college basketball that you can refer to us to jump on and share some stories like you've been able to do? Ooh, that's a good one. I think I have, I got too many. Are we, are we keeping only to college? Uh, if they, uh, why don't we, why don't we throw them out there? I'm open to any guest, but if they have college stories, that's a, that's a plus. Um, CJ Williams, assistant coach for the G league night. He would be, he would be one, um, that I would throw out there. Um, 
uh, who else would I throw out there? I would love to hear from uh, Randy Livingston, high school coach at Isidore Newman. He'd be he'd be one that I love to I, I love to hear what he say. Um, who else do I want to? I'm trying to think of somebody I want to throw under the bus though that that I know wouldn't want to do it, and then they would feel bad. They'd have to. <laughs> Um, oh, let me think. Let me think. Who else? Uh, I'll take who your else? Time. Oh, you know who would be really good though? Uh, Tyson Wheeler. Okay. Tyson Wheeler. He would be good. He would be good. Marcus Wilson. Marcus Wilson from Evansville. That would be a good one too. And I know he's got good stories. I don't know. I threw too many out there. Asking, man. You say what? Not at all. Not at all, coach. <laughs> Honestly, because I'll, I'll, I'll take you behind the curtain. I'm shameless about my DMs. I'm shameless about my emails. I, I pestered you to to get you on, but you know, I'm hey, gonna do the exact same with these guys. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. I was glad to get I'm glad that we had time to get on. So it was worked pretty perfectly. No, this was this was brilliant. Thank you so much, coach. I'm gonna let you go. I know how busy you are. Best of luck this season. We're gonna be rooting for you. We're gonna be watching. So have a great rest of the season. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I have fun. <laughs> All right, we want to thank Roberto again for jumping onto the program. That was a lot of fun. Fellas, let's go ahead and get on out of here. This has been a long episode, all right? Uh, some quick hitters. Taylor, I know we talked ad nauseum about the Pac-12 and how much we think it stinks right now. A few other teams representing conferences, TCU, Florida State, Louisville, as I look at their uh, at the score, they are down right now to App State. But those three teams, TCU, they lose to Northwestern State despite not having Damian Ball. They didn't have Mike Miles. Fine. Florida State's 0-3, and they got Purdue and Florida coming up. Uh, and then Louisville, they lost to Wright State, uh, and, and I'm blanking on their, their first loss. Been a tough go. And also TCU, by the way, uh, they very well could have lost their first game against Arkansas Pine Bluff. We discussed that last week. But TCU, Florida State, Louisville, any other candidates for you that are worrying you? Florida, you just brought up that they had to play Florida. Florida just lost to FAU, and FAU went on like a 32-6 to run in the second half, which is just nuts. Again, not bringing up the previous conversation we just had, but it, it is baffling at times when some of these larger schools lose to these little schools because it's like how in this, especially like a Florida State, because it's not like they haven't had success, at least enough to recruit someone or players good enough to not go 0-3. Or 0 and 4, and the same with Louisville as well. I know we went back and forth about this the other night when we who did Louisville lose to the second game they lost? Uh, I think it was Wright State on a buzzer beater. Uh, right. It was, uh, yeah, Shout you said, well, you said something like, yeah, they're not supposed to be good, but it's like, yeah, but they're also not, they're also got to be a little bit better than this. Wright no State's pretty good. Time. They're, they were a tournament. Yeah, team. but they're 0 and 3, but they're 0 and 3. Like, yeah, I sure. should have given them one of them, but, um, yeah, I mean TCU lost to like, Bellerman too. It was pretty good. Sorry, go ahead. This is this is where <laughs> I draw the line. Beller, this Bellerman is where I draw the line. Yeah, yeah. They are currently down nine to App State. Go ahead. Um, yeah, obviously TCU to have Mike Miles, uh, likely Player of the Year, potential Player of the Year candidate. But it, it you can't be ranked fifteen and not have one of your or you know and you lose whatever game you're going to lose just because your best player isn't there. Um, obviously Tennessee loss. I, I know we've brought that up multiple times. Um, there's been a couple of bad losses this year uh, by a, a I, good group of folks. And yeah, we'll get to you, Sean. Don't worry. I, I want you to elaborate on why the Tennessee loss and why, you know, more. Who, who'd they lose to? Who'd they lose? I mean, I just want to point out the irony right here. 
What team did Tennessee lose to? Well, that's a well, wash because of the same. What they, conference they are they in? What conference is Well, the that team should also in? tell you how I currently think about Tennessee then. Uh, uh, what, if, I they just, lost like, to like the eighth best team in the Pac-12. <laughs> like, like, that's not good. Why can't the Pac-12 win big games? Why can't they do it? They go and they win it. I mean, like, I feel like I'm going to jump out the window right here. I might yeah. walk off the set. But, well, but, 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 but had Colorado not lost to Grambling State, yeah, right, like, yeah, right. That's that's negated right away because they literally lost to a team that didn't even have enough money to fund an athletic program like two years ago. Go ahead, Chart. You got I'm you got gonna, any? I, you I, got I, anything? I, I said my piece. I'm, I I am of the opinion generally these are all extreme overreactions to include my comments on Gonzaga. It is not Thanksgiving. I. Generally, the college basketball season starts last week. It started a little earlier. I think that you cannot fairly judge any of these teams until they've played at least six games. So I think I know we're filled a lot of time on this and we're doing a lot of big picture zoomed out conversations about the the strengths and weaknesses of certain programs and conferences. But uh, I mean, I'm picking up myself off the floor trying to follow your guys' Pac-12 logic over here. So tell me why just – narrow the view then why should we not be worried about tennessee because we're all very high on tennessee yeah I, I wouldn't worry about them at this stage they they shot terribly i mean that that is concerning tyreek key is really the only guy that can shoot vescovy about three for 20 from three he's going to get it ironed out rick barnes is putting the blame solely on zakai ziegler's shoulders which is kind of strange he played terrible but um if you know the team and you know the program this is an old coaching trick that rick barnes likes to do he finds himself a straw man or a reason to blame for everything that he knows that person can take it. So he did this with Lamonte Turner a lot when we had that team with Grant Williams and see that and tweet, Admiral Schofield. I, I it's just this is what Barnes does. He's not going to put the blame on Julian Phillips, the five star freshman, even though he's underperforming. He's not going to put the blame necessarily on Josiah. Actually, he probably will put it on Josiah Jordan James, but uh, he, he should have done it earlier last year. Uh, but generally, he's going to put it on a guy that he knows has the room to grow within the season, and the team's not going to shoot 22% from the floor for the rest of the year. I mean, they shot better from three than they did from the field, which is confusing. Um, so it wasn't – it's not a good start, uh, but it's not going to torpedo the season. It really is – normally Tennessee stacks a lot of wins at this point, and they look good, and everyone wants to talk about how great their defense is. Let's mix it up a little bit, but I'm not yeah. panicking. Yeah, I wouldn't panic about Tennessee, but – uh, I am panicking about those other teams because those other teams aren't Tennessee. I had explained it that they are irrelevant. They haven't racked up the wins like the balls have. They didn't have the Grant Williams teams. Uh, so yeah, no, no need to panic about Tennessee. I did see that Lamonte Turner tweet basically calling out like, Hey, this is what Rick Barnes does. I don't know if it was a shot or not. Um, but Hey, hit me with the Zakai Ziegler. How do we spell that? One underlay, more time. Underlay mama. E-I, E-I. All right. Taylor. What I we always before say? E except after Z. There we go. We're in lockstep. We're in lockstep. Uh, all right. Let's get on out of here on a positive note. I feel like we've been spewing vitriol and been angry. It's a beautiful week, fellas. Uh, so I want to get out of here on a positive note. Foster Lawyer, huge hug. Huge hug for Foster Lawyer. A 38, 9, and 11 in a win against Wright State. That went to overtime. What a fat stat line that is. I was actually very close to texting our group chat saying so much shark in foster lawyer because of just your stature the way you're both white point guards the way you play the game uh, but then he went off for that stat line and there was no way i was going to give you that satisfaction 38 9 11 good for foster there and then how about the swack we've talked about them in a bit of a negative light 
basically saying, hey, these teams shouldn't be losing to the SWAC, but good for the SWAC. Texas Southern, they beat ASU. Grambling State beats Colorado. And a team we haven't mentioned, Alcorn State, they beat Wichita State. The SWAC making a little noise. I'm happy for them. Any thoughts on Foster or the SWAC, folks? I mean, you know I have a running battle with the SWAC. That's Southern. Like, yeah, and I'm I'm just happy that I got to ex exercise those demons this last week. So Arizona taking down Southern, the old Jaguars, thorn in my side for a decade now. Shark, what do you think about my comp between you and Foster Lawyer? Humbled, hum- humbled comparison right there. I mean, how, he's getting nine boards. I mean, good for him hanging around. And that game was crazy. They were down by like 18 in the first half as well. Came storming back, double OT. Another year of Davidson basketball right there. As for the SWAC, I, I don't really have much of a file on these teams just yet. I know that when it comes time for the Jerome at the end of the year, you're going to see. I'll remember this. I'll remember this moment. Um, but I know Colorado is a fantastic team, so, you know, Probably being able to hang around for a while is a good one. <laughs> so hold on. Can I ask one more overreaction? I don't know if I'm cutting in front of Sue here, but uh, Amani Bates, is this is this something that we're going to continue to see, or is that a one-off, like, fuck you to Michigan? Might have been a hype hype game. You're in Detroit in an NBA arena. You got Hunter Dickinson on the other side. Both of them played incredibly well. I'm happy for Amani. I'm happy that he showed out and played well. Noah Farrakhan, another good player for EMU. I think – Amani might tail off a little bit, but I think he'll be productive, mostly because Eastern Michigan doesn't have much of a choice. Well, get that he's, man. He's not going to average thirty a game. I'm, you know, obviously right. just, but yeah. he's gonna he's gonna be good. I think he might be rehabbing his image. Um, but yeah, Shark, I, I I couldn't pull the trigger on that Foster lawyer comp strictly because of that all time stat line. Sorry. No, it'd be like if I compared you to Dev Patel at this point. Well, I think that's actually a pretty good comparison. People have seen my face. I look like Dev Patel. He's a, he's a movie star. Similar just, skills, though. Similar skills. I just like haven't been found out. Yeah, the, like, thank you. That's very kind of Taylor. That's very kind. Um, it's also funny because Foster Lawyer, you want to know how old he is. There was a clip going around when he was still on Michigan State. Uh, I think it was Trey Jones. Trey Jones is the younger one of Tyus Jones. Trey Jones took it to the rim and just, like, stepped on him. Trey Jones is for me as a seasoned vet at this point in the NBA, foster lawyer is still doing his thing in college. All right, fellas, let's go ahead, get on out of here. Appreciate coach Roberto Bergerson again from Boise state. We're going to be watching them, wishing them the best of luck. Always good to have the mountain West boys on. And we'll see you next time here on theater and college. Hoops. Keep a red bone on my side